Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would help us to be challenged and to live it out as your word for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. I was thinking about the best way to respond to this passage. I'm going to preach a little bit on it and kind of just highlight some things about Stephen particularly. But um, as I was sort of wondering how what the best way is for us to kind of live it out, I really felt it would be best for us to pray for the persecuted church. And so after I'm done preaching, I, I'm gonna, we're going to invite us as, as we're sitting here uh, just to take some time to pray together for those who experience similar things to what Stephen goes through in this passage. Uh, he, again, like I said, he's the first Christian martyr, but he's certainly not the last. I went and looked up on Voice of the Martyrs Canada, uh, which countries currently persecute Christians, and they, they listed over 50 countries where Christians encounter, these are their words, varying degrees of repetitive, persistent, and systematic suffering and the deprival of basic human rights because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Not just because of something else, but specifically because of their faith, which is a belief their persecutors will not tolerate. It's interesting when, uh, when you go through that website and, and look at what are the needs of the persecuted church. Is there things we can do? And obviously you can send money and whatnot that goes towards legal funds and other uh, initiatives they have to try and help people. One of the main things that those who are persecuted ask for is just simply to pray for them. And so I thought, well, what better way to honor that than to specifically take time this morning on a passage that is about persecution than to actually pray for, for our brothers and sisters uh, around the world. So we're going to do that in a, in a few minutes here. I was, I was struck a few months ago, I was having a conversation with someone just about issues here in Canada. And I was encouraging them to be praying about the issues in, in Canada, right? That, it, that that is a thing we can do, and it's not just, oh, we can just pray. Like, it's actually really powerful to be praying for people. And, it, you know, God hears that, and God responds to that, and God wants to work with us in our praying. There's a participating together in what God wants to do in the world as we kind of join our hearts with his and seek, uh, seek his will in various, you know, situations in our lives. And I was trying to encourage this person to be praying about the things that they were worried about, the concerns that they had. And, and as far as I know, this person is a Christian. And, but it was just what was difficult about this conversation was they kind of just turned around and basically said, well, I don't think that that really matters. I just don't think it's really effective. And I think it's just kind of a waste of time. And uh, it just really struck me how, you know, how we can get to this place in our own lives where we just feel that prayer doesn't really matter. I think that's symptomatic of a deeper issue going on, of course. And, um, there's other things there for that person to work through. But I just want to encourage us that prayer really does matter. And if those who are on a regular basis experiencing, you know, if the people that are experiencing persecution on a regular basis feel that prayer is what will help, uh, then who are we to argue with that? <laughs> you know, if they know that firsthand. But also, of course, the Word of God makes it so clear that our prayers matter. 
uh, it can be easy perhaps to to fall into a sort of uh, complacent attitude about our prayer that maybe it, it doesn't isn't effective that's what had happened to the, uh, this person that I was meeting with but I encourage us today and we're going to take some time today uh, to lean into prayer as a as a congregation I think as we prepare our hearts for that for praying especially for those who are suffering let's let's just take a minute to look at some of the things that happen in our passage here as Stephen uh, gives his gives ultimate witness we could say Stephen is one of those seven that were picked in a the passage that we spoke about was it last week or the week before I can't recall uh, who was part of leading the daily bread distribution to the widows and I had talked about in that sermon that those that are part of the mission of reaching out to people in need are are also part of the ministry. And in this case, we find out Stephen is also very much capable of preaching. It's not as though he's just the food bank manager. He's also able to preach. And we find him caring for the needy, but also preaching the word. Look at verse 8 in chapter 6. It says in Stephen, what's described of him? Full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Much like the apostles were, right? And in the midst of that, there are those that rise up to dispute against him. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so their response is to initiate some kind of mock trial to get this guy cornered so they can do something with him. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is really like what happens with Jesus, right? We can't debate him publicly. He, he, we keep trying to kind of corner him, and he always sort of supersedes it somehow, and so we're going to try and get him arrested, and, and we'll get some charges, someone to kind of, uh, bring up something that we can kind of label as blasphemy on this guy, right? And that's what happens in verse 11. They instigate these men to drum up charges. And the basic charge is blasphemy, that he's been speaking against Moses and God. But more specifically, it seems he's talking about, look in verse t- uh, 13, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. seems that Stephen is talking about the end or the shift that's happening in Israel from the old covenant system of the animal sacrifice and the temple system of worship to what has now been instigated and inaugurated in Jesus. That that temple system is over, that in him, he is the true temple. He is the one in whom the presence of God fully dwells. And he uh, allowed himself to be killed, right? His body was destroyed for three days and then rose again. And there's that passage in the New Testament where Jesus refers to himself, his own body, as the temple. And people get upset about that and, of course, misunderstand it at first. But the point being, the temple system is ending, but God is now at work in a new way, bringing his redemption And don't miss out on that, right? Similar to what Jesus brings up. When they turn to actually look at Stephen, of course, his face is glowing, which reminds us of Moses in Exodus. And and of course, may be a 
almost a reminder to them right away, well, who's actually in sync with Moses? Here they're worried about Moses and upholding the law and upholding this status quo and their additional rules that they've added to the law, which perpetuates a certain way of living. And yet, who's the one with the glowing face? Who's the one that seems most like Moses here? Right? Stephen. And then, like I said, we didn't read through it all. It is interesting to read, but, uh, you know, just being aware of time this morning, Stephen gives the longest discourse in Acts, and it's like a selective recital of Old Testament history. I remember being in youth, and we were going through Acts, and we got to this passage, and and some of uh, the other youth, some of us asking, why does Stephen do this? Like, what's the point of him just, like, reciting, you know, a lot of a lot of Israel scriptures. And what he does is really interesting. I think I didn't quite catch it when I was a teenager. But what he does is he doesn't just recite the story. He highlights some really specific things and then actually gives a pretty blazing indictment against the religious leaders in his day. What he does is he highlights God at work in Abraham and Joseph and Moses, and he, and then it ends with him turning the table and pointing out Israel's own rejection of Jesus and how they have a history of rejecting what God is doing in the world in these other kind of key moments in their own history. That's what he does. And, of course, they're accusing him of speaking against Moses, so he takes some time to unpack Moses, but also the t- temple. And what he does is, is neat. What he, here's kind of the overview of it. So in the Abraham story, his retelling of Abraham, he's reminding them that God was at work in our lives, in our history, in the world before there even was a temple. God was at work. He revealed himself outside of the Holy Land before we even had a land. <laughs> to be the people or to had a temple, you know, to kind of center our worship around. And that Jerusalem temple, though it's, it's important, his point is this is not the be-all, end-all of God's redemptive work in the world. And the idea of God's throne room and presence and uh, dwelling place has shifted now to be all encompassed in Jesus. This is the one who reveals God to us. In the Joseph story, Stephen starts reminding them about how uh, Joseph's brothers turned against him. And the brothers, of course, are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And his point is, look at the seeds of rebelling against people are right there in your forefathers. We rejected Joseph. And God used the rejected one to end up blessing. Right? You rejected him. God took him in his rejection, raised him up, and then turned around and blessed you. And his point is, that's what happened in Jesus. You rejected him, but God has raised him up and now wants to bring blessing to you. But don't think you're high and mighty and have it sorted out because those seeds of rejecting and rebelling are right there in your forefathers. And again, because Joseph goes to Egypt, the sense of God is at work 
bringing his redemption, saving people, even outside of, of geographic Israel and before there was a temple. God was at work, right? And just as uh, Joseph is used in a surprising way, when Stephen turns to the Moses story, his point is that God uses unusual people to accomplish his salvation. Just as there was an Israelite, uh, Moses, who grew up in Pharaoh's court and then brought about uh, the deliverance of the people, so Jesus has been brought up in an unexpected way. This is God among Israel and has led them out of their slavery uh, in, uh, t- into salvation, right? Moses was commissioned to deliver his people from Pharaoh. And what happens when Moses first goes to do that? Do the people rejoice and embrace him? No. What do they do? They reject him. They reject their Savior, right? And Stevens points the same. In the same way, you have rejected Jesus. Even though this was God's work, this was God's plan, you rejected him. And so Stephen does something really fascinating. He, it's like he reframes their own history and their own understanding of Moses and the law and the temple. And he shows them God was at work before those things. And also that those seeds of, of potential rejection and rebellion to God's work Uh, are part of our own, you know, they're part of our history, people. That's what he's saying. That's part of our history. And so be careful that you're not rejecting what God wants to do. And then, (laughs) and then, of course, it builds up to this point. When Audrey read it, of course, it just sounds like a sudden jump. But it builds up to verse 51 in Acts 7 where he turns the judgment right to his accusers and says, you stiff-necked people, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. Right? Meaning you may be circumcised physically, but spiritually you are so out of sync with following the covenant of God. That's what circumcision's about, right? Is committing yourself to this relationship and covenant with God. He's saying, you haven't got it. Your hearts are far from him, right? You always resist the Holy Spirit, he says, verse 51. As your fathers did, so do you, right? And that's him pointing back again to the patriarchs and the Joseph story and the resistance in Moses, uh, to Moses. And then verse 52, he actually brings up the Old Testament prophets, right? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. Right? So not only did you kill the prophets, but you also killed Jesus. And he puts that squarely on them. You who received the law as delivered by angels, but you did not keep it. Right? You should know better. You have the message, but you haven't kept it. And as soon as they hear that, uh, they're enraged. It would be hard. I mean, it would be so hard to have someone come and, and really turn on its head all the things that you have believed that are just kind of part of your identity for, for decades. That's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. You know, I can understand the, the hesitancy and the, and the 
the struggle of that. But what we find here and elsewhere in Acts was a jealousy towards the apostles, right? Not a willingness to engage with them. We get a little bit of that uh, from the Pharisees and other places in the Gospels. But what we find is a, a kind of a rigidness to remain in their own position and not even be open to, to talking about what Jesus is about, right? There isn't even an openness to it. There's just kind of a hard and fast no. And anyone who questions that, they come after. And so Stephen concludes with this direct attack on Israel's leaders. Uh, just as they killed the prophets, now they've killed the actual Messiah. And in a way, saying, hey, you're saying I'm speaking against the law and against God, but actually it's you, right? He turns the accusation back onto them. And and it seems like his testimony kind of gets cut short because it enrages the mob. The anger intensifies. And then in verse 56, just to really pile it on them, he has a vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God and shares that with them, and they can't take it, right? Right? And Stephen dies with two prayers on his lips. First is, Lord, receive my spirit. Again, much like Jesus' words at the cross. And, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Again, recalling Jesus' prayer to forgive those who uh, kind of brought about his actual death. And then in verse 60, it says he fell asleep. That's a that's a Christian expression for death, and it, it's actually a really beautiful way of saying someone died. It's not ignorant that they've actually died. It's actually so firmly assured of the promise of resurrection. That's why they say fall asleep, because we know that as Christians, even though we die, we will rise again. And so it is only like a sleep in that sense. It doesn't mean he didn't die. It means death itself has been defeated because of Jesus. And so it doesn't have the ultimate say. He will rise again. He'll wake up again, right? That's why it says fall asleep. And of course, just a little side note, we're introduced to Saul, right? Who's going to become the focus of the story. So Luke, Luke's a master storyteller here, right? And he plants uh, just that note that Saul was there. And then it's going to start to revolve around Saul really quickly. What are we to make of all of this? And again, we're going to pray in a bit. Uh, for those that still experience persecution. But I think the first thing that that just stands out to me is just acknowledging, again, how removed some of this feels from us, right? I think few of us have have real experience of, like, actual physical persecution, you know? We can talk about um, suffering in various ways, like kind of psychologically and spiritually and our rights being... um, potentially taken from us. You know, we can talk about those sorts of things, but this is at another level, right? This is a different level. But Scripture makes it really clear there's a a connection, folks, between our discipleship and persecution. And persecution is a suffering for righteousness' sake. And second, I think we can remember that our, our faith is costly. And the church in Acts knew that their faith in Jesus would cost them. They knew that those who were persecuted were blessed. In Acts 5.41, they actually thanked God for the honor of suffering for him. Instead of the thanking him for not being suffering, right? Thanking God for the blessing and the peace they have. They actually thank God for the persecution they face. Because they know it's a blessing to them 
And they knew that in order to bring life to others, they themselves would suffer the violence of the world and the hatred of people because that's the Savior they follow. It's the one who also suffered the violence and hatred of the world. As Christians, I just want to point out a couple other scriptures, and we're not going to turn to them. But as Christians, the Bible makes it clear we're to expect persecution, folks. We may not know it in the same way in our day, but many, many do. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. God also blesses us in persecuted suffering. Matthew 5, 10, and 12 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's also a call for us in Scripture to have the right attitude when we encounter persecution or harassment or rejection. 1 Peter 4.16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And there's a call for us, too, to respond to persecution or respond to resistance with the same attitude Jesus had, which means loving those who seek to do us harm. Romans 12, 17 to 21 puts it this way. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's a good reminder, right? So far as you can bring about peace and and keep relationships healthy and, and going, serve that go for that do that then in verse 19 it says beloved never avenge yourselves believe it to the wrath of god it's written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink right there's a call to love those that would seek to do suffering to christians fourth we're called to stand with those who are persecuted hebrews 13 3 says remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And ultimately, our hope is in Jesus. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart or be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so, again, I'd like us to just take some time to pray this morning. And um, Because it would be one thing for me to sort of turn the application into, you know, when you face suffering in your own life, keep an attitude like Jesus. And that's very, very true, you know, and to kind of just make it about us. But I think it's, it's important for us to also be reminded that there are those who do suffer persecution like this uh, around the world. And so what I'd like us to do is uh, take some time to kind of pray maybe with your row, 
most of you are kind of with family members or near to family members. And I know with COVID, we can't come too close to each other, but you're kind of six feet from each other or near each other. And uh, a number of you, I hope, had some pieces of paper up at the front desk when you came in that had some points about how to pray for the persecuted church. And what I'd like to invite us to do for about the next five minutes or so is uh, find the people around you who are in your row, perhaps, or right in front of you or right behind you. And would you kind of get into small groups and actually take time? Maybe one of you in your group can pray out loud. And let's actually, let's actually pray for those who are suffering today. Does that sound all right? Do you think we can do that? And if uh, you don't know what to pray, again, that paper will be helpful to kind of remind you of some ways to pray uh, from Scripture for our persecuted brothers and sisters. So why don't we do that? Can you find, if you're by yourself, maybe look ahead or behind and find a person with you that you can kind of pray together with. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're like, I don't really know what's going on, just feel free to sit in and listen in. Um, but we're going to take about five minutes. Brian, did you have a counter? Why don't you do that? And if you want, Brian, if you want to turn on even a little bit of music while we're just praying, why don't you do that? Um, yeah, whoever feels they can lead out, and if you're totally solo, I'm willing to come pray with you. But let's take some time just to pray uh, for those that are suffering today. Thanks for being willing to do that this morning. I think on that note, that will kind of mark the end of our service, so I'll actually invite you to stand and uh, speak the benediction over you. I appreciate your willingness to kind of jump into small groups together. I, and I just wanted to mention, I'm actually gone uh, the next two Sundays. I'm out to Eston to teach a course. And uh, so actually Stephen's going to preach. Are you preaching next Sunday? Okay, 14th. We'll make sure. We'll double check. Stephen's preaching and Velma's preaching. And uh, so uh, do come and encourage them and bless them. But I, it just felt like a kind of a college moment. Like, okay, get into small groups, discuss the thing. Trying to out. So thank you for coming alongside me in that. Uh, before the benediction, why don't we just pray as a as a whole group together? Father, we thank you again for the life that we have experienced and the joy that we have and the freedom we have, Lord. Um we just thank you, Father. Uh, we have no idea how blessed we are. And uh, all of our problems start to feel uh, a little bit smaller sometimes when we think of the broader needs in our world. Uh, not that they don't matter what's going on in our lives, but just puts it in perspective. So, Father, we, we do pray for those that are in real need today. We pray your peace and your presence upon them. We pray, Lord, for breakthrough in these various situations, and we just uphold them today. Lord, we pray that the, uh, the plight of our brothers and sisters around the world would just stay with us, even as we head into this week, as a reminder of uh, your work going forward in the world, that we are part of that, that our body is much bigger uh, than just here in Dryden or even here in Canada. And Lord, we, we pray your encouragement and your grace and your protection and your hope upon those who are working and, and living for you all around the world. Lord, we pray for this week ahead for us that you would go before us. Lord, and in the various situations we face, that you would help us to live for you, to put you first in our lives. 
uh, to be faithful, Lord, when difficulties do come our way. And uh, Jesus, we pray that uh, you would work in us to speak the truth of your gospel, to do signs and wonders, Lord, to be people of prayer. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this example of Stephen from your word, your faithfulness to him. We thank you for the assurance we have of the resurrection, that death is not the end. Uh, Lord, we bless your name this morning and just thank you for my brothers and sisters here, that you are with them and walking alongside them, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. So before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know his grace and his presence in your life. May you rest in the assurance of his salvation and his redemption and his provision over you. And may you be faithful to share the good news of the gospel, no matter what comes your way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Love you. If you need prayer this morning, love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you uh, in a few Sundays. Bless you.